on revival warnings tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, that there be a fresh anointing right now. Come speak through me your words of life and glory, power, strong anointing. And let it go forth as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil. Lord, we bind anything of the enemy that would try to distract or hinder in any way. Those that are going to be listening to this, you may be listening to this from even years from now, driving down the road in a car. You may be listening to this on the internet, on a website. But right now, I take authority where you're at and I bind anything that's trying to hinder, distract from this word of God. I bind it and break its power right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you'll give everybody good fertile soil of hearts and minds. That these seeds of truth that come out of my mouth will go into good fertile soil. And you'll speak through me exactly what needs to be spoken. And it will be watered by the Holy Ghost and take root, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, I ask you in the mighty, awesome name of Jesus, confirm your word with signs. Confirm your word with wonders. Stretch out your hand to perform miraculous healings, miracles. Move in power, Lord. And Lord, I ask you by your Holy Spirit just literally to brood over every person that's going to be listening to this. Even, even those that are just tuning into this somehow. All of a sudden, right now, Lord, let your Holy Spirit invade where they're at. Their car, their home, wherever it is. Let your Holy Spirit just fill and wrap around them. And Lord, give all of us the grace by your Holy Spirit to lock in, to give you our best here and full attention. And Lord, we, we ask you to release. There's healing in this place. Release healing in Jesus' name. We speak in healing. There's, there's healing for people's teeth. There's healing for, for people um, where there's been pain, maybe joints, but there's healing. And Lord, I speak healing right now in Jesus' name in every life. Even as people are sitting there, that the healing power of God is soaking into their body in Jesus' name. We thank you for it right now. All right, I'm going to talk about revival warnings, Okay. Those that have followed this ministry for, for very long, you probably have heard something along these lines, but I'm going to tell you there's a lot of new people that is, are new to revival and new to these things. And I felt that whenever I gave that prophetic word about the mountain and people told me that night that, okay, pastor, we're with you. Okay, you're here tonight, so I'm assuming that you're with me on this. I felt the Lord saying, they made a commitment, and I've, this is a response to that. People that are with us, that are wanting to see this harvest come in and see revival, this sermon is for you to protect you, okay? So let me just move through it. The first thing I want to talk about is what witchcraft is, and you need to know this. You, these things that I'm going to talk about tonight, you need to know each and every point, and you need to know it well. What witchcraft is in the Bible, it is not... Some, some old lady with a pointy hat, crooked nose, that's stirring a black cauldron. You know, she's got her little black cat. That's not what witchcraft really is. Uh, what witchcraft really is in the Bible, the biblical definition, it has to do with an illegitimate authority, number one. See, God sets up authority, you know, apostolic, prophetic, pastoral, kingdom authority. And what witchcraft is, witchcraft does not want to operate under God's authority. And so it's rebellious toward that authority, but it begins to set up a counterfeit authority. And this counterfeit authority operates through manipulation, 
It operates through intimidation. And it is meant to control. See, true authority from God doesn't ever control, but it is so powerful that people come up under that authority and it's like a shade of a tree. And under that shade, there's healing, there's freedom, there's ministry, but it's not control. It's not like something is oppressively intimidating you and trying to slap you around in line, that type of thing. That's, that's, that's witchcraft control. When that is rejected, Satan, no doubt, will begin to set up some kind of a witchcraft, counterfeit, control-based authority that is illegitimate. It is not from God. It is either from man or it's from the devil, but it is not from God's kingdom. Okay, that's number one. And then as I mentioned, that illegitimate authority, because it's not real authority, it has to resort to various forms of manipulation and intimidation to control. It doesn't have God's authority. Where God's authority is, the awesome power of the Holy Spirit, the angelic activity will turn things the way it's supposed to go by the power of God through prayer. But where that is absent, and they don't have that, they have to resort to manipulation and intimidation to get what they think they want. Does this make sense? This is very important because I'm going to tell you that the greatest enemies to revival, I'll tell you the two that I'm not going to talk about that much, but number one is Leviathan. Leviathan has to do with pride somebody that that is an arrogant prideful person and they begin to try to distort and confuse and twist and things that are spoken that you know you could be sitting there preaching and speaking the word of god but by the time it gets through the atmosphere it's twisted it's confused and people literally hear something completely different than what you even said And there's so much strife, or there's Leviathan, there's strife. You know, a lot of he said, she said stuff that's not even true. And it's the accuser of the brethren, and it tears up relationships. That's Leviathan. The second great enemy, I mean a major enemy of revival, is the religious spirit. You can call this spirit Antichrist, you can call it a lot of names, but it's a religious spirit. And what it does, a religious spirit operates a lot through this control but it is very opposed to the move of the holy spirit and the flow of life it wants to set up a structure and it's a literal spiritual stronghold a structure you don't see it with your physical eyes but you see it with your eyes of your spirit a structure of death where the holy spirit is quenched he is resisted People don't want the move of God. And they begin a religious spirit. Somebody that's under that influence, and I'll talk a little bit about this later. They begin to fault find. They begin to criticize. They want to debate you. And it's just a fight with them. They don't want the move of God. They think it's of the devil. And a religious spirit will literally call the move of the Holy Spirit demonic. And a religious spirit will do everything it can to try to snuff out the move of God. Just like taking a wet blanket and throwing it up in the air and landing on a campfire, it wants to snuff out the move of God. That's a religious spirit. And if you're not careful, these people will try to intimidate you. 
and they'll try to silence you. But if you cannot be intimidated, a lot of times they'll go behind your back and go to key people and try to manipulate them and turn them against you to stop the move of God any way that they possibly can. They will resort to lying. They'll resort to character defamation. There's almost like a spirit of murder about them because they want to assassinate you. They want to assassinate your character. That's a religious spirit, okay? So you've got Leviathan, you've got a religious spirit. Now, the third great enemy of revival is the Jezebel spirit. Where there is the spirit of Elijah, a spirit of fire, a spirit of burning, a revival anointing. I'm talking about the spirit of Elijah. It's prophetic, the sevenfold manifestation, fiery, powerful, where that spirit of Elijah is. What do you think the devil's going to try to send in to oppose the spirit of Elijah? The spirit of Jezebel. And it won't just come a lot of times from one person. Satan will send them in and in and in and in and several of them and try to dismantle. And when a Jezebel spirit comes in, they operate through witchcraft. That's, that is the power behind a Jezebel spirit is witchcraft. And it is a real power. Let me tell you, there can be some woman, she'll be, you know, four foot tall, and there's not a thing about her in the natural, okay? There's nothing about her in the natural that would intimidate her. But because that Jezebel spirit is so powerful, sometimes you can be standing there and you can feel like something's trying to squeeze your throat and trying to suck the life out of you while this, this woman is being rebellious, you know, and difficult, doesn't want to come under authority. It wants to undermine your authority. It wants to go behind your back and try to manipulate and control things. But this witchcraft is serious business, friend. It is serious. And, and when it tries to come in, witchcraft will literally try to hit your health. It will try to hit your finances. It will try to hit relationships and tear them up. And I'm telling you all this because this is the battleground regarding revival. When you start having a move of God... It's as though hell begins to come together and that kingdom of hell begins to discuss among themselves, okay, they're starting to see a move of God. We've got to stop this move of God. And so they begin to set up an attack that has to do with Leviathan. It has to do with religion and it has to do with a Jezebel spirit. And you better know something about these things and you better be ready to deal with them. Because when you're dealing with Leviathan, it's it's very serious. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to use a lot of wisdom in dealing with a person that's under a Leviathan spirit. Because they're gonna twist everything you say. When you're dealing with religion, you have to be very wise and careful how you deal with the religious spirit. But you've also got to use a lot of wisdom and a lot of prayer in dealing with the Jezebel spirit. There's two fangs of witchcraft. I want you to picture a snake. A snake has two fangs. When a snake strikes, sometimes a snake will strike while a person is on the move and they'll only get one fang in them. This is interesting because sometimes you'll see a snake bite and it's just one hole because only one fang connected. But the two fangs of witchcraft are this. You've got two, two different sides. One side of witchcraft is Galatians 5.19, which says it's witchcraft of the flesh. And what that is, that's just manipulation and control. That's a person that's a control freak. Okay? And they come under the influence because they don't repent of that. They keep controlling and controlling. They come under the influence of something demonic. And they're just trying to control you. 
They want to manipulate you. They want to make you feel sorry for them. They want to intimidate you, whatever they got to do, to bring you under their control. That's, that's witchcraft of the flesh. Then you have the other fang, which is the dark arts. This is where people have learned the art of spell casting, incantations, and rituals to literally conjure up demons and to launch an attack in the spirit realm. It's the dark arts. What we know is that form of witchcraft. So you have witchcraft of the flesh and you have witchcraft that's the dark arts. These are the two fangs of witchcraft. But nonetheless, both of it is powerful. Both of it is demonic. And there is a, a power behind it. And let me, let me explain to you this. The power of Christ's kingdom is the Holy Ghost. He's a person. And his power, I mean, is so awesome. His power is like a, an electric current that, that just is working through the kingdom of God. The power of the Holy Ghost is what empowers angels. The power of the Holy Ghost is what empowers us. So that's the current of power in the kingdom of God. There's not another source. He's it. Now, in the kingdom of the devil, the current of power is witchcraft. So when you get around something that gives you the heebie-jeebies and you can feel it, you feel that, that evil power, that's witchcraft. And what people have learned to do, whether they mean to or not, that are serving the devil's purpose, and I'm talking about even Christians, without meaning to, they've learned how to function under that witchcraft anointing. And a lot of times Christians will think that's the Holy Ghost because there is a power about it. And they'll feel energized, they'll feel empowered when they're rebelling against the pastor and when they're splitting up the church and when and whenever they're they're doing these things that's like a Jezebel spirit, they feel like an empowerment and they think God has anointed me to do this. In reality, they come under an evil anointing and it's witchcraft. Witchcraft ultimately is rebellion against God and his true authority, which manifests through true apostles, prophets, and pastors. All forms of witchcraft are demonic and Jezebel rules over witchcraft as a queen. Now, does this make sense? I hope that I'm making this real clear. Okay? Because when you're coming against these things, I want you to understand what's going on. I've come up against a Leviathan and let me tell you, that is serious and those people, they won't listen to anything. When you're dealing with the Leviathan spirit, they're right, you're wrong, it doesn't matter. You can prove that they're wrong, they're still right in their own mind. And they'll twist everything that you say and, and lie and use it against you. When you're dealing with a religious spirit, they're not interested in hearing the truth. They're interested in winning the debate. That's it. And even if you're right and you give them scripture, they'll still counter it with some other scripture out of context. They, in their minds, they're right, you're wrong. And when you're dealing with Jezebel, you're dealing with something that's very vindictive. They want revenge and they want to destroy you. The Jezebel spirit rules over witchcraft, it rules over idolatry, and it rules over immorality. So you need to make sure there's no witchcraft anywhere in your life. You need to make sure there's no idols in your life. A lot of people have idols that they don't know is there. Idols can be anything. It can be anything from relationships to material possessions, literally anything. Even revival can be an idol, okay? Anything. Make sure there's no idols. It's got to be all about Jesus. That's it. And number three, immorality. Any form of immorality that somebody is being seduced into, and I'm using the word seduced, seduction, 
any form of immorality, sexual immorality of any kind that you're seduced into or you're seduced into the occult, when once you bite that fruit, that Jezebel spirit begins to rule over that person's life until they truly repent. All right. So these are the enemies of revival. And tonight, I'm going to pray with you. And God is going to empower you. The Lord spoke to me about this. The Lord is going to empower you with some kind of a powerful, fiery anointing that will break through witchcraft. And seriously, the Lord's going to anoint you to break through witchcraft. All right. So let me go through this. Rick Joyner had a prophetic vision many years ago regarding revival. And in this vision, he shared it. It always stuck with me. There was a man that was on a beach. He had a surfboard. And he was so muscular that it looked grotesque because it was way over the top. Okay? And his surfboard, though, was too small. And so he was out there basically on the beach just showing off his muscles. And the wave was coming, but he did not discern the wave in time. And once he saw it, he tried to rush out there and catch the wave. But the wave actually worked against him. And it crushed him up against the beach, broke his board, and broke several of his bones. And he ended up laid up in the hospital. He's in the hospital. He's looking out the window. He can see the beach. And now there was a resolve in him that I'm no longer going to do that ever again. And when he got out of the hospital, this strong resolve within him was to actually have real physical strength and not just be built up for looks. And so he became a lot more lean, but he was a lot more stronger. This time, his surfboard was an adequate length. And this time, he was watching the ocean intently. He wanted to make sure that when the wave was coming, he was going to see it, he was going to get out there in time, and he was going to be ready to ride it. So the wave is approaching. He sees it. He jumps on his board. He swims out there. He turns around. He's looking for the wave. As soon as the wave came, he jumped up on his board. This time, the wave did not beat him half to death. This time, he rode the wave all the way to the shore. Now, Rick Joyner had this vision and he shared this. He said that there's too many ministries that are trying to beef themselves up and build themselves up just almost like an arrogant show-off. And they're not ready for revival at all. The small surfboard was showing that even though they were all beefed up like that and they were showing off their muscles, their ministry represented by the surfboard was very inadequate to be able to handle revival. And when the wave of revival hit, it actually worked against them and you know beat them half to death, put them in the hospital. And I believe that's exactly what's going to happen to some people because they've beefed up their ministry. It's arrogant. It's prideful. And it's just to show off. They compete with other people. And whenever revival hits, the ministry is not ready for revival at all. And revival, if somebody's not ready for revival, this may be hard for you to believe, but revival can actually work against some people, can work against some ministries. And when revival hits, there'll be some ministries 
that actually lose people and they have all kinds of problems because the revival literally worked against them and broke their board to pieces. Do you see what I'm saying? And all of a sudden now, revival hit and people are talking about the move of God and they're leaving these dead ministries and going to where God's moving. And revival therefore is working against some. But here's what we got to do according to Rick Joyner. You got to be adequately trained and in shape like David in the fields as he was praying. In other words, you need to spend time with the Lord in prayer and fasting and seek Him and get ready for revival yourself. Not puffed up with pride and going around showing off what you think you know. No, that you're alone with Him and you're really growing spiritually ready for revival. Number two, you need to have your ministry ready to catch the wave when it comes. How many ministries out there are really ready for this revival that's going to hit America? How many have even talked about it? How many of them don't even know it's coming? Do you see what I'm saying? The wave is going to knock some people senseless. But if you're ready, then you'll be ready to ride the wave. And as soon as revival hits, you're ready. You're going with the move of God. Number three, you need to be properly positioned for revival. You need to discern where the wave is going to break and get there. I believe that's why we are where we are. Number four, you need to be watching so that we can at the proper time start moving in the right direction with the wave. When the Holy Spirit begins to move in revival, it's so important that you pick up on it. And you say, hey, wait a second. The Holy Spirit's doing something. I need to start moving with Him in that, in that direction and start going with the flow. Let me give you an example. Some of the, the revival I'm most familiar with is, is Brownsville. But when Steve Hill came on Father's Day, it was totally unexpected that revival would break out. I mean, it's Father's Day. And when revival broke out, Pastor Kilpatrick didn't know what was going on. He was actually kind of mad at Steve for wanting to pray for all these people. But he got up there. Listen, revival had come in. And because Pastor Kilpatrick had spent so many years in prayer, are y'all hearing me? He spent so many years in prayer. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He was anticipating revival. He was ready for it. He was hungry for it. And whenever the move of God came in, he could feel that revival it was breaking out. And so he got up behind the pulpit and he said, this is it. This is what we've been praying for. Get in. And as soon as he said that, see, it comes through the pastor. If the pastor resists the move of God, it'll kill it. But once he opened his mouth and he said he was embracing the move of God, get in. Like that, as soon as he said that, he said it looked just like somebody opened a machine gun up. People started falling everywhere, everywhere. The power of God exploded. So what happened was he picked up on it and began to ride that wave. Be ready, number five, to act without hesitation when the wave breaks. Some people, they hesitate. When revival comes, you cannot hesitate. You've got to jump in and you've got to go. Now let me tell you something as I go through revival warnings real quick. I want everybody to give me your best ear tonight because this is something you need to hear. And I'm going to ask no moving around. Please find a seat. 
really give me your focus and get locked in. I want everybody to hear me tonight. This is important. I'm asking, please don't move around and distract at all. When revival comes, you need to make sure that you're ready and prepared for the warnings that God's trying to give us that are listed in the scriptures that we're ready to face what the devil's going to try to throw at us. There's a unique attack that tries to come against revival. Okay? Revival is a major threat to the devil because the power of the Holy Spirit is what breaks his power and what saves the lost, heals the sick, delivers the captives, and so the devil wants to stop the flow of the power of God. See, a shepherd is different than the sheep. Sheep are down on all fours, and so they can only see at a certain level. But God will place a shepherd, and a shepherd is up, has a higher level of vision. A shepherd can see further distances. And God will show a shepherd things, a lot of times that the sheep don't see. And a shepherd's vision is very important. The shepherd's rod is very important. God has a staff, the shepherd's staff that keeps the sheep, you know, down a certain path. But the rod of a shepherd would have maybe nails, different things in it. And it was there to kill wolves that came in. That's what it was there for. He had the staff to help the sheep along, but he had the rod he would pull out to beat the snot out of a wolf, okay, and drive it off. And I'm just going to tell you, this may be hard for some people to swallow, and I'll get into this in a little bit, but 99% of the time when the Bible's talking about wolves, it's talking about people that are under the influence of the devil, okay? So sometimes the pastor has to raise the rod and deal with people. All right, and another thing is sheep in the natural will, will regurgitate their food when their shepherd is absent. It's interesting. There's something about the shepherd being there that people know. If they know their shepherd and they know that he'll deal with it and won't put up any funny business, there's, there's a protection there. Because they know that if the shepherd's there and something weird's going on, he'll deal with it. And y'all know me. You know how I am. So Revelation 12, 1, this, I know that this is talking about Israel, but I want you to hear this just using this example here. But it said, the dragon stood in front of the woman to destroy the child as it was born. You see, when revival starts really breaking out in its infancy stage, the dragon will try to stand in front and kill the baby. It doesn't want to wait until the baby is full grown got muscles and learned how to fight. No. It wants to kill the baby now while it's an infant and it's vulnerable. That's the attacks of the devil at an infancy stage. So you've got to understand that this revival is really a baby. It's at an infancy stage in many ways. But yet there's also a deep maturity that has come as well with a lot of people. But let me give you some tactics of the devil. Number one is division. You have to understand that the greatest tactic of Satan is to divide. Number one. You know, just like I was talking to Miss Loretta the other day, and she told me, she said, I don't even know why people that are in discord even think God's going to move. She said, until they get in unity, God is not going to move. So see, Satan knows that too. He knows that a kingdom divided can't stand. He knows. So his number one goal 
is to send some wolf in and to pit people against each other and sow division. And I don't understand. I don't hear enough of this, but the people of God need to at least hear a sermon every once in a while about church discipline just so they can understand that 1 Corinthians 5, whenever the man was caught in sexual immorality and was unrepentant, okay, he was bragging about it, Paul said to expel him from among you. Now, how many churches are even remotely practicing anything like that at all? Why? Because Paul said, if you don't expel him out, a little bit of yeast will work through the whole batch of dough, meaning that that pollution spiritually, that sexual pollution, will begin to spiritually work its way through the entire church. And then all of a sudden you'll hear about so-and-so that's struggling um, you know, with lust and fornication. You'll see married couples now that are struggling with adultery. Why? Because they've allowed sexual immorality in their midst and they wouldn't kick it out. That's the Bible. Not only that, but Jesus taught us in Matthew 18, if there's somebody that is a troublemaker, go to them and talk to them. But if they won't repent, then take witnesses. If they won't repent, then take it in front of the whole church. And if they're still not going to repent, kick them out. And Jesus said, his words were, kick them out. And treat them as you would a tax collector or a pagan. In other words, disassociate with them. And that's the scriptures. Now there was a church that had a very powerful move of God. Now before revival broke out, there was this, um, this is a true story. I think I've told it before, but there was a woman that was a gossip. And she was causing a lot of problems. She was, she was pitting people against each other and her gossip was causing a lot of issues in the church. It was causing discord. The pastor went to her. Her husband was there. He was just kind of cowered down, wouldn't deal with her. But the pastor told her, said, look, this is going to stop. And she, of course, lied and said, I'm not doing it. And he said, yes, you are. I know you are, and you're going to stop it. She didn't stop it. She goes out and keeps doing it. He calls her back in, got the appropriate people there. And he said, look, this is going to stop. I'm not putting up with it anymore. This, this better be the last time. And she went out and kept doing it. So the pastor, there was an evangelist. I know the pastor and I know the evangelist. And I've heard both of them tell this story. The evangelist was there speaking. And it was like a Sunday morning or something. Large crowd. And the pastor told the evangelist, before you take the, the platform, I've got to deal with something. So he gets up and he says to everybody, I mean, he's already went to this person. He's already done what he's supposed to do. This person is totally unrepentant. He said... Bob, I need you and your family to stand up. They stood up. He said, I've gone to you in private. I've done everything I know to do to get you to stop splitting up this church. Gossiping, slandering, and hurting people. You have flat refused to repent. He said, you are no longer a member of this church. You're no longer welcome at this church. You are excommunicated from this church. Gather up your stuff. The ushers are going to usher you out the front door. Don't come back. Out he went, the, and the family. And the evangelist that was there said, man, he said it was like a black cloud just rolled off that church and went out with him. Now, here's the benefit to that. Because the pastor would deal with stuff and wouldn't wink at it, that church saw a major revival after that 
where I'm talking a lot of people got saved. If that pastor would have not dealt with that, that church would have had chaos and would have had strife in it, and God would not have been able to move. Therefore, all those souls would not have gotten saved. Now, was it worth it just to make this little woman that won't repent make her happy? Or to see revival and see all these souls saved? You see what I'm saying? And there are some people out there, friend, that just won't repent. It doesn't matter. You can go to them. You can take people. You can pray. You can fast. They're going to do what they want to do. They're rebellious. And the, and the sad thing is, is that when a pastor knows the Bible, and he's going to deal with that stuff and keep the church holy and keep it pure, and keep it the way it's supposed to be, sometimes people in the church get mad when a pastor does that because that's their friend, and then they'll buck up against him. And the whole time he's doing what the Bible says to do. Amen? So I hope that I never have to do on that level. But if I, if I have to do it, I will do it. But I hope that people stand with me. Amen? Amen. All right. That's number one. Number two, religious spirits just be ready. Revival shows up. You know, people are falling, shaking, crying, laughing, whatever. Power of God's touching them. And there's going to be... Mr. Religion over here in the corner with his nose stuck up in the air, his arms crossed with a ticked off look on his face that really believes that's the devil. He really does. He believes it's demonic. And every time a religious, these people that have a religious spirit want to stop every spiritual advancement. There was a church I knew of that the pastor, all he was doing was moving out from hymns and moving into more progressive worship where people could just be free in their worship. And there was an old man there that really, truly believed that if it was not in the hymn book, that it was demonic. He really did. I'm telling you. He believed it, and he fought that pastor tooth and nail about that. But that's a religious spirit trying to stop the advancement spiritually. Legalism, criticism, fault-finding, debating, and man's control. Religious people want to be in control. They don't like the Holy Spirit being in control. Because when the Holy Spirit's in control, I mean, anything can go. I mean, truthfully, it can be. I love Rodney Howard Brown's meetings, but sometimes, I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit's in control. So you're just sitting back there just watching. It's, it's fun. I mean, people over here, all of a sudden, this person's falling, rolling around. This person starts laughing. They fall out, you know. I mean, it looks like chaos but yet rodney's just there watching the holy spirit touch people you know and it's totally the holy spirit's control but what a religious person wants to do is this is out of order let's bring it all and what they're actually doing is they're saying let's stop this put out the fire of the holy spirit stop this and let's bring this now under what i think it needs to be and let me tell you something too with revival you cannot. You got to be careful to not try to. Let me word this the right way. You got to be careful to not try to put every little thing that you think might be the flesh to try to kill all of that. Because in doing so, you're going to kill the move of God too. There's going to be some people that get in the flesh, and you can talk to them. But you know how that is. You get a baby Christians that's never felt God in their life, and all of a sudden they start feeling God and they start doing something goofy. I mean, you can tell them, all right, just calm down or whatever. But if you go through there and you try to figure out 
this is flesh, this is not, this is flesh, this is not. Wait, that's flesh, maybe not, I don't know. And you start trying to kill everything that you think is flesh. In the process of doing that, you're going to kill the move of God. So you've got to trust the Lord to help sort that out as you go. Amen? All right, here's some scriptural warnings with revival. I'm going to move quickly. (coughs) Adultery. David with Bathsheba. Let me warn you, when revival comes, do not relax. That's not the time to sit back and go, God has shown up now. Now I can quit praying. I can just relax and just soak. I don't have to press in. I don't have to really seek God anymore. If you relax spiritually, don't be surprised if something doesn't jump up and bite you. You better stay on your guard and know the Bible says that the devil's like a roaming, roaring lion that's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. And you've got to be aware of that. Don't relax. Stay on your guard. And one of the reasons why we try to cover a lot of people when they fall is we don't want lust. Amen? Let me tell you, I'm just saying this across the board, and I'm seeing a lot of stuff creep into the body of Christ that's very concerning now churches some of them will play secular music in their worship Um, you know they're having these drinking parties sanctioned by the church and people are getting drunk Um, leadership is cussing I mean like the F word and there's people that are seductive and and dressing seductive and provocative that's why we're trying to keep this holy God's not going to move where there's sin amen that's why we cover people when they fall to prevent lust be careful when you pray for people how you pray for them because there's going to be some times down the road that you're going to be praying for people just use wisdom with what you're doing okay I've seen Seeing some people not use godly wisdom. Just use wisdom. I mean, if you're praying for the opposite sex, it's just better to pray for their hands or their head, okay? And leave it at that. But just use a lot of wisdom and be careful because you don't want to cause problems with the way you're doing things. Number two. Well, let me go back to that. Keep your passions under control. Keep your life sexually under control. And be on your guard and know... That in revival, Satan is going to try to target you with either adultery and if you're not married, sexual sin. That is an attack. Number two, idolatry. The golden calf. Don't you love that story? Moses comes down. He's mad. And this is in your Bible. Aaron says, I don't know what happened, Moses. They brought me their earrings and things. And I threw it into the fire. And poof, (laughs) poof, out came this cow. That's what he said. It's in your Bible. (laughs) The story of the golden calf. Here it is that God just leveled Egypt, brought them out, revival no doubt, brought them out with signs and wonders and miracles. It was a revival with signs and wonders following. Amen? Brought them out, delivered them, and you couldn't even turn around good. And they're already dancing naked around a cow. And, you know, seriously, and doing these pagan rituals that they learned in Egypt. And it made God angry. But how could such a thing happen? Because deception. Let me tell you something about deception. As John Bevere would say, it's very deceiving. (laughs) But anyway, let me tell you about deception. 
deception, you may think, well, I wouldn't be deceived. And if you have that attitude, you're going to be the first one. Okay. Deception is like this. If Satan being an angel in glory could end up like he is now. Okay. If Adam and Eve without a sinful nature, mind you, they had no sinful nature. They were in paradise and they were deceived. How much more those of us that we have a sinful nature, we live in a sinful world and we're living in enemy territory. We better stay really humble and depend on the Holy Ghost to keep us. Okay. But see, deception crept in and the Israelites, I mean, after a major move of God broke out in their life, in their midst, after, I mean, major, here they are. Moses just went for a short time. It wasn't like six months. He was up in the mountain and they said, well, as for this fellow Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. So let's make us a golden cow now that we can all worship. And this is now the God that brought us out of Egypt. Deception. How in the world could they think that they could make a cow and think, yep, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They were deceived. And let me tell you something. You've got to be careful with deception because the Bible says in the last days, deception would be rampant. So be careful as revival breaks out that you don't get deceived. Stay under spiritual authority and listen to them. If they tell you in love, you're getting weird. Calm down and get back in line. Listen to them. Because there's people that have been in revival that are now in a cult. And you talk to them and they believe with everything in them that they're right and you're wrong. They've been deceived. And you know as well as I do that there was well-meaning people that went to them and said, Listen, you're getting into some weird stuff. We're trying to tell you. Just come back to church. And they didn't listen. They got mad. No, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. I'll be fine. Just be careful for deception. Because there's some things out there that are not the Lord. Before, before revival broke out in this one church, and it was a powerful move of God, man. Before that revival broke out, there was a counterfeit revival that tried to happen previous. Let me tell you what happened. The pastor had somebody come speak that was a reference of a friend. And when he came, this pastor was hungry for revival and was was totally open to whatever God wanted to do. And at this time, um, the ministry like Rodney Howard Brown in Toronto was going, so um, the joy and laughter was really gaining a lot of popularity at the time, which is wonderful. I love the joy, and I know you do too. And so this pastor was like, man, I hope, you know, praise God, I want God to move. But he didn't know this guy. And, but when this guy came, he brought like an entourage, which was kind of weird. He brought a lot of people with him. And they all came in, sat down. But anyway, the pastor told him, since I don't know you, after you preach, give me back the microphone, and then we'll, we'll go through and, you know, pray for people or whatever I feel led to do, but just give me back the mic. How many knows you're supposed to come under authority? Amen. All right. Well, this guy preaches his sermon. The sermon was seemed to be pretty good. But after the sermon, he knew what the pastor had told him. And he said, quick, if you want prayer, run down. Right now, God will touch you. And before the pastor could even get up out of his seat, he had went up and whacked some lady in the head. And she had already fell down because he knocked her down. And these people are laughing over here. But the pastor said, you know, and we all love the joy. Okay, so does this pastor. But he said it was weird. It wasn't, it was a different spirit. And so the pastor comes down. You got this guy here with the mic and you got his entourage. And now the pastor has to confront a counterfeit revival that's broke. So he gets up and says, grabs the mic and says, look, the Holy Spirit is grieved. This is not a true move of God. 
We're shutting it down right now. And I want the ushers to sweep the aisles, get these people out. Well, as they did, these people were, you know, spitting mad, as we would say in Texas. And they went outside, and they were going to throw rocks through the church glass. That's how mad they were, revealing what spirit they were really of. But let me tell you something. The pastor wasn't deceived by a counterfeit move of God. You need to, listen, don't be so hungry and desperate for the real that you accept, you swallow a lie or you, you accept some kind of counterfeit. Wait out for the real. Amen? Wait out for a real move of God. Don't settle for something. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need somebody whacking somebody so they fall down. That's not God. He doesn't need help when healing somebody. You know what I'm saying? When God heals somebody, He heals somebody. He doesn't need your help. In it, like okay, you know, we're gonna we're gonna exaggerate what really happened here and make it sound bigger than life and and make God look. Look, God doesn't need all that. When God shows up, He can do what He wants to do. He don't need us making stuff up. Amen. So watch out for deception. Number three is rebellion. God will not honor rebellion. I don't care who it is. He will not operate and function through rebellion during a revival. There was people that were on the prayer team and the pastor told them, look, he said, we've got so many people coming in from all these different backgrounds and all this. He said, here's what I want you to do. And let me tell you, it was clear. He said, I just want you to pray for them on their head. That's it. Just pray for their head. God to touch them. That's it. Well, there was people that would not listen and they were going and putting hands on people's stomach like men touching women that way which I'm not saying that's a horrible thing, but the pastor said, don't do it. Well, they were still doing it. So the pastor had to tell him from, you know, from the pulpit, said, God will not move through rebellion. And those of you that are not submitted to authority, you're no longer on the prayer team. Because God is not going to flow through rebellion. Amen? Let me tell you, you may not always understand why authority tells you to do something but do it don't sit there and be rebellious some people are so prideful they're always questioning authority everything that they always question everything and they why i don't want to do it that way and they're always trying to do it their way god cannot use somebody like that in a powerful way he really can't because they're rebellious but somebody that learns how to come under authority submit to authority he said do it this way this is the way we're doing it god will bless that amen all right. Now let me tell you something about rebellious people. Rebellion, Korah, as we're going through this, Korah rebelled against Moses and said, Who made you a prince and ruler over us? Who do you think you are setting yourself up over us when we're Levites too? They were related to Moses. They said, We're Levites just like you. Who do you think you are being over us? And they rebelled against Moses. And Moses just fell on his face before God and was like, you know, I didn't set myself up here. God called me to do this. And he just sought God and, and he got up and said, you guys better get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Quick, run away from them. Get away. And they were all standing there, probably dumbstruck. What's going on around their little tent? And the earth opened up and sucked their families and, I mean, everything. Their donkey and everything. Sucked it down into hell and shut over them. That's God's attitude with rebellion. Amen. But see, you don't know, a lot of times somebody doesn't realize how rebellious they are until they're told no. They come up, oh, I really want to do this so that, and then, you know, the pastor, whoever's in authority says, no, we're not going to do that. Ooh, 
all of a sudden now they're mad. You know what I'm saying? That rebellion, all of a sudden now, that rebellious streak is coming up. Or they're told to do something they don't want to do. Like, well, can you do this, please? I don't want to. That's rebellion. When the Bible says what? To honor and obey those that are over you. Okay. The next thing, and let me say this too about the prayer badges. That's why we do things a certain way. Because, you know, when Rodney Herb Brown first started really seeing a major move of God, it shocked him more than the people, I think, because all of a sudden everybody's laughing and falling and stuff like that while he's preaching. And he had never even seen this before. And he's having now to learn how to preach over a crowd that's in hysteria. Well, revival was breaking out in the early 90s powerfully, powerfully through his ministry. You should look up on YouTube the old revivals back in the 90s and and look up some of those moves of God. I'm telling you, you can feel the power of God, something awesome. Well, anyway, when revival broke out, one of the main places that Rodney had an extended, powerful, powerful move of God was in Lakeland, Florida. Carl Strader and his church. Well, while he was there, he was praying for people. Revival broke out. It was somewhat new. They were trying to feel this whole thing out. Well, come to find out, that there were some witches that had crept in the meeting that were also praying for everybody. So, you know, people tell Rodney about it, and he's like, okay, that's it. Nobody prays for anybody except me and my wife. We're shutting this down. And so he gets up there and cleans house and deals with it, and that solved the problem. During, of course, the great Brownsville revival, they had altar workers with badges, and they wouldn't let just anybody pray. And I believe that's one of the reasons why some of the moves of God that are going on right now, they're okay, but they're not on the level of what I think that they probably could be. But one of the problems is it's just a free-for-all with everybody praying for everybody. Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I love them. But you would think that people with good sense would think about this and have wisdom and think not every single person in this meeting needs to be given a free license that they can just go through and lay hands on whoever they want to. Do you see what I'm saying? That lacks wisdom. Number one, when that's going on, there can be people that Satan will send in like a witch or somebody. But also, not only that, then you also deal with people that just simply have sin in their life and things that are not right at all that are now praying for everybody. And the, the thing about impartation is this. Whatever a person has in their life can be passed to another person spiritually. Good or, or bad. Good or evil. Whatever they have when they pray and release that, it can pass. So you would think that people would use wisdom and obey the Bible where it says don't be hasty about laying on of hands. The Bible says to know those that labor among you, and the word know implies intimate knowledge, doesn't it? And the Bible shows us a pattern in James where it says, have the elders anoint with oil and pray. And whenever you look in the New Testament and you read the book of Acts, it was the authority figures that were laying hands. I'm not saying that you cannot have an altar team because you probably need them and should have them, but they should be screened you don't just go through there and go, hey, give me a show of hand if whoever wants to be on the altar team tonight. You know, 
a couple of witches in the back row from Louisiana shaking their little rattles. Ooh, we do. <laughs> and friend, don't think that that don't happen because it does. I remember during this one revival, they were saying that there would be these witches come in. They'd be that, that they're, you know, chanting and shaking their little rattles against the revival. If you just give a free-for-all, anybody just want to pray for people, you feel led to pray for people, just go through and pray for people, the little witches are going to jump up and go, yep, time to get our mumbo-jumbo going and start praying for people. It would be funny if it wouldn't ruin some people's lives. But there's some people out there that they wouldn't know how to handle what just hit them. And it could destroy their life. Amen. So you guys seeing now why we do certain things? All right. Witchcraft control. Watch out for this. Watch out for a Jezebel spirit. Those that don't know a lot about that spirit, you need to read a book on it. Okay? Because that is a serious attack. It is serious. And if you're battling a Jezebel spirit, don't be surprised if you're not dealing with some some, uh, depression, confusion, difficulty praying and you find maybe attacks against your health but a jezebel spirit will belittle male authority it will try to manipulate intimidate witchcraft prayers also there was this uh there's a lot of stories like this but there was one story where the pastor's wife had gotten deathly sick and they begin to really pray and seek god as to why i mean the pastor's wife was sick unto death i mean like serious and as they were praying they begin to ask God to deal with whatever, expose whatever, show them whatever. Well, it comes to find out that this woman, who was one of the leaders in the intercessory team, the, the prayer team of the church, that she had felt that God spoke to her that the pastor, his wife, needed to die so that she could marry the pastor. Seriously, she thought she heard from God. So she was praying night and day and fasting or whatever that the pastor's wife would die. Friend, that is pure witchcraft. I don't care if she's a Christian or not. That's witchcraft. And the pastor's wife almost died. But once they found that out and dealt with it, and they broke that witchcraft and prayed about it, the pastor's wife made a miraculous recovery. you got to be careful how you pray. You have authority. You need to pray God's will be done. Jesus said, pray God's kingdom come, his will be done. Don't try to enforce your will over people. See, whenever you think it should be a certain way, there's sometimes we don't really know. We look at somebody's life and go, well, it needs to be like this, this, and this. And to a degree, we may be right. But nonetheless, you still need to pray, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done because I may not be right. And if I'm trying to pray my will on them and trying to force it on them in prayer, that's witchcraft. And not only that, but when you're praying that way, it's the Holy Ghost is not going to be flowing through that kind of prayer but you'll find that a demon will. And what you're doing is, is you're cooperating with something in the dark side that's now going and trying to make that happen. Also look out a Jezebel spirit. They will not submit like a wife, not submit to her husband and church people that will not submit to leadership and will try to discredit. The main thing about a Jezebel spirit is it will try to discredit the leadership, try to make them look stupid and then set themselves up to be like they're a fool follow me, that type of thing. And let me tell you, you cannot tolerate it. You can, you can face the devil by dealing with a Jezebel spirit. Okay? But you cannot tolerate it because if you tolerate it in your midst and you put up with it, it brings a curse with it. 
Okay. All right. Another thing to watch out for is evil men. Nehemiah 13, 4 through 10. Some of you have read the story. Nehemiah was trying to build the wall around Jerusalem. God called him to build the wall. And while he's doing it, he had to face a man by the name of Sanballat and his sidekick, Tobiah. These guys constantly were harassing them. They were threatening them. They were making fun of them. They were mocking them. They threatened to send letters to the king that they that Nehemiah and them were leading a rebellion and the king, um, Xerxes or whoever needed to bring down an army to destroy them. They were constantly opposing the wall being built. We've had a few of those actually. Anyway, let me just say this. Whenever you're dealing with this, let me show you the end of the story. So Nehemiah finally gets the wall built. After the wall is built, he leaves out of town. Some goofy priest was related to Tobiah through marriage. He goes in to the temple area, cleans out a room where they were storing temple things you use in the temple like frankincense or whatever he moved it out and let Tobiah live like an apartment in there okay so Nehemiah comes back into town finds out about this and just loses it okay he's he could not believe that this guy would do this he was so mad he kicks down the door you know goes in there grabs all the guy's stuff okay his mp3 player whatever throws it all out throwing it all out into the street, takes Tobiah, you know, gives him a good kick out, throws him out, they put back the temple stuff. But let me tell you something, in revival, watch out for evil men that will try to slither in. Are you hearing me? They try to slither in, and they've been in opposition to you, but now that revival's going on or whatever, now they want to slither back in. Be careful with that. This is a warning. Because there's been people that have been sand ballots and Tobias in times past, and all of a sudden it didn't work. And now, now revival's going, souls being saved, good things are going on, and now they want to slither in. Yeah, you need to listen to Nehemiah's wisdom and give them the boots. Amen. Also, watch out for betrayal. Now, this is a big one. Jesus had a Judas. Jeremiah verse or uh, chapter 40 Gedaliah was the um, the governor that was placed over Israel this was after their exile and some people tried to warn him they said listen Gedaliah there's there's a man being sent he's an assassin he's being sent to kill you and Gedaliah said no it's it'll be fine other warnings came this one guy came to him and said Gedaliah listen Send me to go take out this assassin so that he can't get you. God's allowed you to be the leader of Israel, and they need you. And Gedalia said, no, it'll be fine. He's not going to kill me. Then you read at the end, they killed me. Let me tell you, watch out for betrayal. And here's the thing about betrayal. You usually don't feel this coming like you do other things. And there can be an unhealthy passivity where you ignore the warnings. You need to listen to warnings. I'll never understand why people don't. 
I, I was just talking again. We had this conversation with Miss Loretta and some other people that were there, and we were talking about different things, and, and they were talking about this preacher. And she had saw, saw him rise from obscurity and really be used of God. And there was this witchy woman that comes into the church, and the devil always tries to send one, and she comes in, and this, this woman of God, like a prophetess, came to him and said, Pastor, listen, this woman is straight from the pit of hell. I'm telling you, she's a witchy woman. And if you don't get rid of her, this is what I was told that she said. This was the lady telling. She said, if you don't get rid of her, she will try to destroy you and destroy this church. And that pastor did not listen to her, and she destroyed the church, and she destroyed his ministry. You have to listen to the warnings that come to you. If somebody like Nehemiah, if somebody is proven to be an evil man, then don't, once revival breaks out, now all of a sudden they're acting all humble and nice. Oh, I just look. Don't just accept that, man. You've seen the fruits, okay? Be aware and be careful. But also, when people come in and the Holy Spirit's trying to warn you, He's sending you people. Listen to them, don't just ignore it. Another thing to watch out for in revival, and you better be careful for this one because people can do this without realizing they're doing it, is man worship. Gideon's ephod, Judges 8.22. Gideon saw the great victory. We all know the victory. The shofars blasted. 300 men defeated everybody. Everybody in Israel is like, well, Gideon, you need to be our king. You need to rule over us, and Gideon wouldn't do it. And I'll never understand why Gideon did this, but he puts out... A cloth and says, Everybody give me an earring, and then he makes a golden ephod and sets it up, and people go to worship the ephod. So it was a snare to him and his family. It was he had created an idol in Israel. When he could have just been the king, and I don't understand what he was thinking, but nonetheless, be careful about man worship. Listen, God can use people in an awesome, awesome way, but do not give them more glory than what you should. Now listen, let me say this though. You need to honor the man or woman of God. You need to honor people, but don't worship them. Whenever somebody fell down at Peter's feet and tried to worship him, what did he do? He grabbed him, picked him up and said, don't do that. Whenever somebody, I don't remember who it was, fell at the angel's feet and tried to worship the angel, what did the angel do? He said, no, 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 get up. Don't worship me. Be careful about giving glory to people or places that it belongs to Jesus. And let me tell you, I see that in some people. It's like in their eyes. They'll start talking about they went to some move of God. And it's weird. Oh. You know, and you're going, listen, man. Okay, God's moving. Yeah, okay. But let's not get weird and start worshiping the thing. Okay, so don't worship the building. Don't worship the decor. Don't worship the worship leader. Don't worship the pastor. Just love Jesus. Go there and receive from God, but don't get weird about it, okay? And I've seen people do that, and, and it's like, it's, it's a bit bizarre. So, God has put ministry gifts in the church, Ephesians 4.11. He's made some to be apostles and prophets and pastors, evangelists and teachers, but it's only by the grace of God that they even have that gift to begin with. They could not be a pastor or an evangelist. They could not be that except it was God's grace that it is a gift within them. So don't worship them and don't worship the gift. And I love people like, you know, Benny Hinn, that God has used him so powerfully, but yet you listen to him and he's always telling people, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. 
Because I've heard people over and over and over that are clueless. They'll, some of them will mock somebody like Benny Hinn. They'll say, oh, they, all these people are going to him think Benny will heal him. Most people don't think that. Most people go there to worship Jesus and they think Jesus is going to heal them, Okay, But there's, there are people that go to these meetings that are like, idol, like it's an idolatry toward Benny or it's an idolatry toward some other minister. And they're looking to them like they're their healer. And Jesus is not going to flow through that. That's idolatry. And I told this before, but Carlos Anacondia, this was going on and he didn't know about it in the Argentine revival. And there were people that were not being healed that he felt like in his spirit should be healed. And he began to pray about it. And his wife told him, said, you know why they're not getting healed? Because they're looking to you as their healer. And so he got up and dealt with that. But let me tell you something. Jesus is your healer. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your deliverer. Just because somebody prays for you and you're powerfully touched by God, honor the person, but don't give them glory. Hopefully that makes sense because I don't want to create dishonor. If there's dishonor, God's not going to move in that. That grieves the Holy Ghost. But don't worship anybody but Jesus. Amen? The anointing of the Holy Ghost. See, a lot of times the anointing seems to attract that type of attention. All right, let me go to the next one. Greed and the love of money. Okay. You've got to be careful about money. Most scandals revolve around either sex or money. And a lot of people, and I've said this before and I meant it, they've never really truly been tested because they've never truly had money. Let's just say it like it is. But once they get money, all of a sudden you can see what their heart is really like. And you've got to be careful. The warning in Scripture is 2 Kings chapter 5, where Naaman the leper came to Elisha, and Elisha didn't even go out to meet him. He was a man of renown, and he was a man with a lot of money, and he was a man that was offering Elisha a lot of money. But Elisha had heard from God and said, just go tell him to go dip in the Jordan. That's it. And Naaman was even mad about it. He thought, here I am, a general, a man that's important, and this guy doesn't even have the decency to come out of his tent to talk to me, to face me, to pray for me in person or anything. He's just telling me to go dip in Jordan, which is a dirty river, when I could go back home to a clean river. And he had a bad attitude. But one of his servants said, listen, Naaman, if the man of God had asked you to do some great thing, climb some great mountain, stand on your head or whatever, you would have done it. So he's just asking you to go dip in the Jordan. Why don't you just do what the man of God said? And so Naaman said, okay, and he went and dipped in the Jordan was totally healed. Then he comes back to Elisha and he's wanting to give Elisha all this money and clothes and all this stuff. And Elisha said, nope, the Lord does not want me to take it. Just be on your way. So Naaman leaves. He's riding down the road in his chariot and Gehazi, Gehazi was Elisha's servant. Now remember, Elisha was Elijah's servant. So the mantle that went from Elijah to Elisha and doubled, just think about what Gehazi could have ended up with. But Gehazi saw that money. And he snuck off and he took off running after Naaman. Naaman gets down and says, everything okay? And Gehazi said, yeah, but listen, there's some people coming in and I need, I need some clothes and this, this, and this and made a little grocery list. And, and Naaman gives it to him, you know. And Gehazi goes back and hides it or whatever. And goes and he's with Elisha and, and thought Elisha would know nothing about it. And Elisha says, Gehazi, where were you? And he said, oh, I was nowhere. And Elisha said, wasn't my spirit with you when you ran up there and took, uh, took the money from Naaman? 
He said, because you did this wicked thing, he said, the leprosy that was on Naaman now will cling to you and your descendants forever. And right there, his skin turned leprous. And you don't ever read about Gehazi after that because most likely he went off to live in a leper colony and he never received the inheritance that he could have received from Elisha. And the sad thing was it was probably meant for him because Elisha died without a successor. And the mantle that should have went to Gehazi went down into the grave with Elisha and settled into his bones. And whenever that later, many years later, Elisha had been long dead, bones bleached, whatever, and they had thrown the dead man into his tomb, not realizing that it was Elisha's tomb. And the dead man hit Elisha's bones and came back to life. And that's a powerful story. You know, we all think, man, that's amazing. What an anointing. He was so anointed. It soaked all the way down to his bones, all right? He was so anointed. Even his dead bones raised the dead. And that's an awesome story, right? But the sad part is, is that why didn't that mantle double and go to Gehazi? And I'm telling you why it didn't, because he loved money. And it disqualified him. Be careful with money and how you handle money. Are y'all hearing me? Be careful with it. Because the goal follows the glory. So once the glory has come and revival's really there, finances are there, man. Finances are there. And you've got to be careful with how you're using God's money. You know, I administered at a church. And I mean, seriously, I, yeah, it's about to make me cry. People were given. And I really didn't want an offering. I didn't ask for an offering. To be honest with you, I really didn't want one. But the pastor took up an offering. I was watching these people. It was precious. No, you could tell they didn't have any money. And they're given like $10. But to them, that was a big... And I'm back here trying to not cry. I'm thinking, I don't need your money. You know? But the pastor told me, he said... A workman's worthy of his hire. Take the money, you know. And I was like, all right. You know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, if we give, we shall receive. And, and they'll be blessed for doing this. And so, you know, but let me tell you something. God sees the sacrifice of people when they give in an offering. And somebody that's got an arrogant problem and they're flipping about it. And they, they take it and they, they heap it on themselves. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Deeply grieves him. And I remember Lyndall Cooley was talking about his parents were traveling ministers. And they were around a bunch of other traveling ministers. And he said he saw some abuses with money. He said they would be in a tent. They would, you know, sometimes people would manipulate to get money. And I remember one preacher saying that he saw his mom who didn't have any money. And that preacher would be up there, whoever it was, who was taking up the offering, really just on and on about it. And he'd see her crack open her purse and give her last couple dollars you know, in the offering. And Lyndall was saying that his parents saw that some some of them, you got to understand, there's some really good people out there. Though. I'm just talking about the few out there that are not good. But Lyndall saw some of them would take up an offering and people would give what they had. I mean, there was people that would take off their rings. You know, things like that. And it would come in the offering and they had went back to a hotel room or wherever they were staying and one evangelist that they knew, the wife was trying on the rings and was giving away, and it was just being heaped upon themselves. And Lyndall's parents said, what are you doing? And they said, well, they gave it in the offering. And they said, yeah, but they gave it so that you could take it and, you know, get money for it and put it into the work of the Lord, not that you can go around with your bling. Amen? We just got to be really careful with God's money. It's holy. It really is. It's holy unto God. And people that are abusing it, you know, 
they're going to be judged for that one day. All right, the next is just let me mention, as I did before, church scandals usually revolve around money or sex. And let me warn you, don't be alone with the opposite sex, okay? Especially if you work with, like, teenagers. But do not be alone with the opposite sex. Use wisdom. There's been many people that were innocent. But somebody got mad and cried wolf. And if you're alone with them, it's your word against theirs. And you and I both know how that goes. Usually the person is guilty until proven innocent. And even if they're proven innocent, there's still a stigma. So it's better to just not be alone with the opposite sex. Okay, Be very careful about that. Even sometimes when people have had to meet with me somewhere, I always tell them, look, if, if my wife cannot be there, I say, okay, let's meet at Starbucks or something. There's people everywhere. It's a well-lit place. People all around me. And we'll talk there. You know, I'm not going to go to some clandestine meeting with the opposite sex, okay? And that's, that's stupid. But there's people that have done that, that they, they were innocent and they really didn't do anything wrong, but there was gossip. It doesn't look good. You know, you have a married man, and he's hanging out with a, like a young, attractive woman, and he's just trying to maybe counsel her, but it doesn't look good when you're alone with them in a compromising situation like that. And then you get somebody that's a busybody walking by going, oh, well. And then next thing you know, they're on their cell phone. The, tech, the mass text goes out. And they really didn't do anything, but nonetheless, it's, it's a problem now, and they're going to have to deal with it. So what I'm saying is just use a lot of wisdom there, and if you have to be with somebody of the opposite sex, have another person there as a witness or be in a very public place, okay? That's wisdom. And we have checks and balances in place, even in the ministry, and those of you that are going into the ministry, hear me about this. But we have checks and balances where no one person is counting the money. And that's for their protection, not because I don't trust them, because I do. But that way nobody can say, oh, well, brother so-and-so pocketed some money, you know. <laughs> Seriously. And so there's more than one person there counting it, you know, so that they can't be lied about. And then a third party that takes it to the bank and brings back the deposit slip, which matches what was counted. So everybody's protected, amen? All right. It's sad you've got to be that way, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> Let me close with this. Paul's greatest revival was in Ephesus. You ought to read about Acts chapter 19. When you leave out of here, that should be your Bible studies next week. Go through this, but read Acts chapter 19. That was Paul's greatest revival. And God spoke to him that God, God said he would give him an effective door there, but there would also be great opposition. See, every time there's an effective door, there's great opposition. Y'all hearing me? Let me say that again. Every time there's an effective door, there's great opposition. So Paul went to Ephesus as he was going through there. I mean, right as he entered, man, people were getting uh, saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit right there. Boom. I mean, he goes in for two years, saw a major revival. People were burning, I mean, thousands of dollars worth of witchcraft material. People were, the power of God was so strong that aprons and cloths that just came into Paul's contact were being sent out and people being delivered to demons. So you can imagine, they're, they're riding back on their donkey miles away to somebody that's demonized. And they take the cloth that Paul had prayed over and throw it on them. The person hits the ground, screams, foams at the mouth, the demon leaves. They, another person rides off, their, they, their relative is too sick to come. I mean, this is back in the days when you came on horseback, okay? They're too sick to come. 
And so they come and they get Paul to pray over it. They take the cloth back. They throw it on the person. The person is completely miraculously healed. Major signs and wonders. The whole region heard about it. Okay, This was a major move of God in Paul's ministry. But you know, the first time that he went through Ephesus, nothing happened. Nothing of significance. It was the second time he came through. There's a timing about things. Are you all hearing me? There's a timing. Paul went the first time through. I think it was actually his, uh, it might have been his first missionary journey. But the first time he went through, there was nothing to write about. But the second time he went through a major revival. Sometimes there's just a timetable. But let me warn you about a couple things as I close. Jesus, the first place he went, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, went out in the wilderness, was tempted by the devil, came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where's the first place Jesus went? To his hometown in Nazareth. You would think the people that knew him be happy for him. Hey, Jesus, you're starting your ministry. Slap him on the back. This is awesome. We're 100% behind you. We're going to take up an offering. Wasn't like that. They all wanted to throw him off a cliff, if I remember right. They, were, they didn't want to listen to him. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor anywhere else except in his hometown. And listen, because they did not honor him, because they dishonored him, the Bible says that he could not do many miracles among them except lay hands on just a few sick people that were healed. And that was it. Isn't that sad? The Son of God, who could raise the dead, who could have healed the whole town, okay? Only a few people got healed because of the dishonor, disrespect they showed him. And God the Father, Jesus said, I don't do anything except the Father is doing it. So the Father looked down at Nazareth and said, I'm not going to do much in you because you're disrespecting my son. And that's the way it is sometimes. People don't honor men and women of God like they should. And it cuts off the flow. That's just the way it is. That's why when I met, you know, Sister Loretta, this is just here recent, but just I was so honoring of her ministry. And you know what? Because of that, man, she prayed for us and the power of God. But if I had gone there disrespectful, God wouldn't have touched me. And I'm going to tell you, when she comes, honor. Honor her. Okay? Honor the, the anointing on her lot. And when you do, God will touch you. So we got to be careful that we honor the move of God and honor what God's doing. You honor a move of God by going to it and receiving. Could you imagine if we knew that for sure the Apostle Paul or Elijah, we knew for sure that God had sent them back to planet earth. Okay, They're, they're going to be preaching in Mesquite at some church, right? And they're there, man. We know it. And we sit in our house and watch some stupid TV show instead of going. And the way you honor what God is doing is by making the effort to go there and humble yourself and receive what God is doing. So anyway, God can bring a miraculous catch of fish. Remember how they were fishing all night, nothing happened, and Jesus said, throw your net on the other side? And, you know, I mean, I imagine Peter and them that's fished their whole life. It's a generational thing. Their dad was a fisherman. I imagine that they were there thinking, Jesus, you're awesome, and we've seen some wonderful things, but you were a carpenter, and we know about this fishing thing, and the boat is yay wide, okay? We've been fishing all night, okay? And you're telling us just throw the net over here, okay? A few feet away, 
And they're, they're probably thinking, no, I mean, this isn't how it works, Jesus. But when Jesus spoke out, throw your net on the other side, and they did, they could not hardly get it in. I mean, they took all these grown men, they're trying to pull it, and the net is starting to break because of the weight of all the fish. See, some people, you've been laboring, you've been toiling for a long time. Don't give up. Because you've been fishing and fishing and fishing all night, and you feel like giving up because you've been tired. But don't give up because it's just like Paul went through Ephesus the first time. He could have looked at Ephesus and been like, eh, nothing happened there. But he heard from God and went a second time. And the second time, it was like Jesus said to Paul, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Because the second time Paul went through, it was a timetable. It opened up for him. And some of you don't get discouraged. I mean, you keep praying, you're fasting, you're seeking God for things. Just stay at it. Because you're fishing and you're being faithful. And Jesus is watching that. But there's going to come a time where he says, now the timetable is ripe. Cast your net on the other side. And you're about to see a miraculous All right, this is what I close with right here. The warnings to a church that's birthed in revival. The Ephesian church was a church, when you read the Bible, I want you to think about this, they were a church that was born in the fires of revival. I always look at the Ephesian church a lot in connection with River of Life because this ministry is a pioneer work. It's a baby, but it's born in revival. So there's similarities. But the Ephesian church was born when Paul had that great revival in Ephesus. And so when you read the warnings in Revelation, when you read the book of Ephesians, think about that. Some of the greatest revelation Paul Paul ever wrote is in the Ephesian uh, writings. I mean, he wrote about the armor of God. He wrote about spiritual warfare. But here's the warning Jesus had to this church that was birthed in the fires of revival. He said, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. See, when revival's there, you'll deal with wicked people. Amen. And that you've tested those that claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Revival definitely brings some hardships. Yet, Jesus said, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Twofold revelation. Number one, getting away from your first love is losing the fire. The Ephesian church, even when you look at the seven churches in parallel to the last 2,000 years, the Ephesian church was symbolic of the fires of revival being lost and it beginning to move into more rituals. And so, with that said, the first revelation in that is we've got to keep the fire burning. You cannot get cold spiritually. You can't get lukewarm. You can't let the fire of revival die out. How does revival really die out when God is an all-consuming fire and he starts a fire? How does it die out? You know, the devil either steals, you know, or, or people just get in the flesh, but somehow the revival dies out. But it's not God. The problem is with us. And so we've got to keep the fire burning. Number two, the second revelation in this is this. That actually can be translated in the, in the Greek. It says you have forsaken your first love. It can be translated you have forsaken your, your 
greatest love feast, which has to do with taking communion. There is something about taking the Lord's Supper that is connected to revival. The blood is what takes you into the glory. And I remember one great revival. The pastor had heard from God and God spoke to him and said, If you will begin to take communion with your church and you will saturate this house with the bread of presence, which is communion bread. He said, God spoke to him and said, I will pour out my spirit in an awesome way. And he did. Communion is connected to revival. And then he said this, but I have, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nicholas was one of the original deacons. He had his ha- hands were laid on him. He was released. But he got into heresy. And he began to teach that because your spirit is eternal and your body is going to die, that whatever you do with your physical body doesn't matter because your spirit is going to go to heaven for eternity. Which is stupid. How in the world does that work? Because I mean, if you're going to sin, you're going to sin with your body, you know. So anyway, it's, it began, you, you start splitting hairs with the devil and he comes in and deceives people. But this teaching, Jesus said, you hate this teaching. And so do I. A revival church will hate teaching that teaches people to sin. Amen? And Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You can eat from the tree of life now, which is God's presence. So in other words, if we will keep the revival going, we will be able to eat of his presence. You see what I'm saying? You'll be able to saturate with his presence. The last things, mistakes that have been made in history. A lot of times when revival's broken out, people were not ready. So discipleship was not in place. I hope you hear this warning. This is a big one. In Wales, this was a big mistake. When revival breaks out, you've got to have discipleship in place quickly. I've heard of revivals breaking out and so many people got saved so fast that they literally had bags full of decision cards that they did not have time to even follow up with the people or anything or have any type of discipleship because it hit all of a sudden. And all these people were getting saved and they didn't know what to do and all of a sudden they had to try to figure something out. Let's have it in place and be ready when revival hits to have people ready to disciple them right then. Another one is the temptation to try to control, contain, or make revival denomination. Frank Bartleman was used to help pray in the Azusa Street revival, but Azusa Street was so powerful, but whenever they began to try to make it a denomination, they put up on the Azusa Street uh, mission, it said apostolic faith, something like that. And Frank Bartleman said he was driving by and saw that big sign on there and said, it's over. And it was, because they tried to make it a denomination now. And let me tell you, the temptation to try to control, revival breaks out, Somebody comes in here, they get touched by God. God baptizes them in fire. They go out and, and start having meetings and seeing a similar move of God, but yet they're a little off in some things. All of a sudden, the people here start trying to control that over there. You've got to be careful about this control business. I mean, just because people are getting touched and going out and you don't understand everything, if you go and try to put out their fire... You just got to use wisdom about that. Don't try to control and contain everything. God is big enough. Let him deal with it. Are you hearing me? This is important. People are going to go come in and get touched by God and go out. You can't control everything that goes on. You just got to trust God that the fire is spreading. You may not understand it all. 
many revivals fall short because they, they, they neglect to honor those that have gone before us. But the Bible says to honor your fathers and mothers of the faith. That's why we did the God's generals. We wanted to honor the fathers and mothers of the faith. How many times did we hear Steve Hill get up at Brownsville and honor people like William Seymour and, and you know others in revival? He was honoring those that have gone before him, and because of that, the revival had longevity. When you honor the fathers and mothers, the Bible says you'll have long life. You honor your father and mother's long life. The principle is, if a revival will honor the fathers and mothers of the faith, it will have longevity. And don't fall into the ditch of either side of the road with lawlessness or legalism, but rather stay on the path of life. Because in revival, Satan will try to get people to fall into to legalism, or he'll try to get them to fall into lawlessness. But either one of those is a ditch. Legalism is this um, oppressive teaching. But lawlessness is where you start letting things go on that shouldn't be going on. There's a balance in the middle. That's true righteousness. Okay, Few men in history have been able to find a delicate balance between letting the Lord use them or using the Lord. Evan Roberts was driven by the conviction to only let God have all the glory. William Seymour, through great humil- though great in humility, was even more interested in keeping the hands of men off the revival just because of his hunger to see God move. Both of these are needed by those to be used in revival. Amen? I want you to go back this week and look over this. Read over it. Do a Bible study on it. You need to be ready for what's in here. This is one of those sermons you need to go back and hear down the road. And you need to keep these notes in your Bible. Because I'm telling you, revival attracts spiritual warfare. And God is wanting us to be ready. So I want to pray for people tonight. Let's go ahead.